Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're speaking with the former president of the University of California, Mark Udoff, who spoke at yesterday's Ask With Forum called Higher Education, the Cost Disease and Systemic Reform. Welcome to the Harvard EdCast. Thank you, Matt. Delighted to be here. Mark, uh, let's talk about a little bit the, the history of higher education and how at one point, post-World War II, higher education sort of got a pass and maybe a little bit about what it was like then and kind of how it's moved away from that over the years. It's an interesting story. I mean, post-World War II, of course, we had a big uh, population boom, the big baby boom generation. So we had lots of young people. Nearly 60% of households had um, children under the 18. A lot of them wanted to go to college. We had the uh, people on the GI Bill returning from the war, later uh, from the Korean War. And uh, it, was, uh, it was elitist. It probably was not fair to people of color, and we could go on and on about that. Uh, but uh, those people were middle class. They voted, and uh, the politicians uh, more amply supported public higher education. So uh, the tax dollars went in, and, and many uh, public universities, 80 or more percent of the total cost of a student's education uh, came from the state. Now, uh, the baby boom perhaps started in 1946, 47, 48. Uh, you know, more than 50 years later, uh, the number of families with uh, uh, students under the age of 18 has greatly diminished. It's in the 40s. And uh, uh, at the University of California, the students pay over half the bill for their education. They actually contribute more than the state of California. Unheard of. California is a pretty progressive state on this. It's not. Uh, has not been reactionary over time. And uh, the, 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 the shine is somewhat off it. An aging population uh, wants better social security, they want better health care, they want to lock up the bad guys. And uh, today, as we sit here, uh, one estimate is that we spend seven times as much money uh, on uh, senior citizens as we do on, on young people. And that, that's pretty incredible. And the seniors are deserving. I'm not knocking them. But that's an indication of how out of whack things have become. So there's a, definitely a demographic shift. And is it that the world and the United States doesn't look at education as a public good anymore and policymakers don't want to devote money in that way, aside from their demographics? I, I think you know, there, there are many things that uh, are, are going on. I mean, I, th I think the shine is a little bit off. I think there's the sense, which I think is reprehensible, that it's other people's children. Because a lot of these uh, low-income children are Hispanic children, Latino children. And uh, uh, we see it in communities where the, the more senior citizens in a community, the less likely a bond issue is likely to pass, the, usually the lower the tax rate for schools. And to some extent, that works its way into, into the support of, uh, of public universities. Uh, there are other factors. We have a privatization trend in the United States, which I think has just gone too far. I mean, we, we, build, we never built many toll roads before, but now we build a lot of them. We have gated communities. Uh, some of the audience were astounded. We have, uh, uh, when I did the research, we have uh, over a million private police officers in the United States, 900,000 are employed by government, more private than public. If you look at the profile of forces fighting in places uh, like Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, much, much higher percentage of contract soldiers, way higher than certainly Vietnam or, or Korea and World War II without question. 
So it's part of a privatization trend. And then I also think there's a greed factor here. And that's what I read from President Eisenhower's great speech on the military-industrial complex, is we can't plunder today's resources and improve our, 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 our standard of living and all that at the cost of the future of the country and without investing in our young people. And I see some of that going on. I think you made some interesting comments last night about the role of technology and MOOCs and online learning and where you kind of see that going and whether you see them currently now as a success and how things will evolve over time. I would say uh, right now I, I would view them as just a, a moderate success. Uh, it's backfired in a number of ways, but that always happens with new technologies. In some ways, the, the technologies ahead of the culture and then the faculty and even to some extent the students weren't really ready for it. And then we had some intriguing experiments, but they really weren't geared to scaling up and doing it nationally. I mean, if you plunk down a lot of money for MOOC and then you don't give credit and then you don't have any form of examination or accessing and then 90-some percent of the students drop out, I don't consider that a success. Having said that, to me, it's like the old-timey computers, you know, the Wang computers and the Commodores and all. Ten years from now, we'll get it right, and it will probably be much more revolutionary than we ever anticipated. So I predicted yesterday that the, maybe as much as 25% of uh, classes at most universities uh, would be either wholly or partially online, say, a decade from now. Uh, that has implications for how many students you can educate, for the pricing structure, uh, for faculty, what, how many, do you need as many faculty? And that, we could go on and on, but I, I think it will come. Uh, but top-down management and trying to coerce the faculty into doing something it doesn't want to do is not going to work. I think it's interesting the phrasing of the talk yesterday, the cost disease. I have lots of friends when they have children, all they talk about is, I'm excited about having a kid, but the college tuition will be so much. That's the first thing they jump to. And I'm curious, uh, calling it a disease, calling higher education cost disease, what, what does that mean? And then is there a cure or an antidote? Well, it, it, I actually uh, borrowed the phrase uh, from uh, some economists that, uh, that use that in their major work. It's not my concept. And basically, uh, the cost disease means that um, it, it's difficult to uh, get, obtain efficiencies that offset increases in, in wages. So if you think about it, uh, an assembly line and, and you have more robots or, or you have greater uh, capacity in the computers that run through the assembly line, if you give the workers an increase in pay, then often it's offset uh, by greater productivity. Uh, I compared it to a symphony orchestra yesterday. So you know, what is a more efficient symphony? It's very difficult. So uh, that, that's the problem. It's labor intensive and it's hard to, uh, and, and, and people who work at university have needs and, and their, you know, their home prices go up and rents go up and groceries go up. I mean, they need their pay increases, but it's hard to say when you give a 3% pay increase that Harvard is 3% more efficient that year. It's just very hard to, to see it that way. So uh, I, I think there are some approaches that, that have some hope. Technology, you've mentioned, is one. I think we need to work on the student-faculty ratio problem. I say that because universities are driven by labor cost. And yes, you can wash the windows less frequently, and you can uh, you know, decide that you're going to collect the trash twice a week rather than three times a week. You can decide you're going to buy all your equipment together and hopefully get more competitive prices. But at the end of the day, unless you can affect the labor, uh, have an impact on the labor cost, you can't save real money. 
And it's complicated. But so I would say, basically, maybe not the Harvards of the world. You've got an endowment. You've got a rich tradition. Um, and, and you have basically an inelastic demand for what you do, which is not true everywhere. Uh, but I think we need to live with a higher student-faculty ratio and be smart about it. Right now, we wind our way into it, and we don't plan. Uh, we need to plan. Can we have some classes of 150 so that other classes can be classes of 12? What's the smart way to do this? And that's what I was advocating. And I, and I think the, it's the who is the we that we really need to get to as a country. So, uh, all of the problems, all the statistics are out there. Who is it that needs to get together to kind of start this massive systemic transformation in higher education? Is it college presidents? Is it policymakers? And how does it actually happen? Well, it's, uh, uh, it, it involves many stakeholders. And uh, I mean, I was a university head in three different universities, Texas, Minnesota, University of California, and, and you can't do it by yourself. So you need the support of your Board of Regents. Critically, you need the support of, of the faculty. Uh, I mean, if you want them to march up San Juan Hill and they don't want to go, it's all over. I mean, and so, uh, I, I, so you need them. And then, uh, you know, the students, um, I, I think uh, you need them, but you may not need all of them. Maybe, maybe having champions, because, you know, I would ease the way into the New Jerusalem. And, and have leaders on the faculty and leaders on, among the student body, and then try to use uh, persuasion rather than coercion to, to move things along. Uh, I don't think the politicians are helping very much. They always seem to take the, uh, what can I say, not always, but they, they, they often just conceptualize it all wrong, not understanding how universities work. So I think you need parents, you need students, you need uh, regents, or in your case, the board of overseers, you need university presidents, uh, but this is very tricky. The, the faculty has ingrained ways that have worked well for many years, and so you can find resistance there. Surprisingly, when I was at UC, the, the, the student representatives on the Board of Regents were opposed to my, uh, to my uh, internet technology uh, initiatives, and they were really voluntary and quite mild. I, I didn't get that. Uh, my response was, if you don't like it, then don't enroll in the courses. No one is telling you you have to. Um, but I, I think this is such an entrenched system. You remember universities have outlasted virtually every other university in the world except the Catholic Church. I mean, uh, Harvard is among the oldest uh, institutions in, in America. And if you go back to Oxford and Cambridge and the University of Paris and so forth, um, so uh, you know, uh, if you're a dug-in faculty member or student or administrator, you can look to history that uh, the other people will fold before you have to fold. Last question, and this was uh, this sort of set Twitter aflame yesterday during your talk. You, you you quoted a statistic that more funding is spent on potato chips in the United States than on research, and I think that was a lot of people were just depressed by that fact. And, and I guess what I would ask you in in higher education, you can be kind of I suppose two ways: cautiously optimistic or pessimist with hope. And I'm curious, bullish or bearish, you're the champion of higher education. Well, what, what's your, f your final thoughts? Well, I, 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 have, I have a lot of hope for the future. You know, I'm a child of the Enlightenment. I hope to be able to persuade people with facts and, and reason. What I would say, you know, in the potato chips versus research is just uh, an example of the fact that we do not want to invest w uh, adequately in infrastructure. We don't replace the bri bridges that are unsafe. 
and the highway system and has terrible trauma and the levees and I could go on and on and the research buildings and the school houses. The human infrastructure is what's being ignored here and the human, structure, human infrastructure includes the funding research and, and, and uh, helping the people who do the quality research to, to do their best work. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we live in a time of uh, living in the moment and consumption and uh, uh, privatization where we don't repair roads, we just move to a gated community as if we were islands, which we can't be islands. And, um, uh, but I'm hoping that uh, wiser heads will prevail eventually. A case for Hope, Mark Udoff, former president of the University of California, who spoke at yesterday's Ask with Forum, Higher Education, the Cost Disease, and Systemic Reform. Thanks for being on the EdCast today. Enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.